Hello and welcome to Kingdom Conversations, a ministry of Faith Covenant Church. We are so excited to have you today as we talk about all things related to the Kingdom of God. Hello and welcome back for another episode of Kingdom Conversations. We are finishing up something we started last week with Josh Page, Pastor Kevin, and Pastor James. And we're t- we were talking a lot about the power of the Holy Spirit, evangelism, um, come, how we come to know the Lord, the role that God plays in that. And so um, during our in between last week and this week, we had this great discussion. Um, and I'm going to ask Josh, would you share your heart? Because people see, if they've ever seen a video of you um, having conversations with people, it seems so natural. You are like just so calm. Um, what is What did that look like as you were starting the ministry? And how did you start the ministry of evangelism? What motivated your heart for that? Yeah. So when I had moved to Florida in 2007, I was a part of a Christian college and I had never been in a Christian circle before because I had only been saved four years before that. So I just had the church I was a part of, um, but there weren't a lot of Christians in my high school. And so this was all new to me. And so everything we would do outside of the college was in this Christian bubble. We'd go to the Rays game as a Christian group and it was just all Christian. And I just felt like we've got the truth. We've got the answer that the world needs to hear, but we're not really doing anything with it. And it, it bothered me, and I didn't know what to do about that. And I just, one day on a Monday, um, decided I would just walk off the campus and just talk to whoever I would run into. I don't know what to say, I don't know how to say it, but I'm gonna try something. And so I talked to somebody, and I tried to share the gospel. Uh, I stuttered, I was very nervous. I probably almost converted him to Buddhism or something. Um, <laughs> But I walked back to school that day with my head down, and I I, I remember resolving, I I will never do this again. This is not my gifting. This is not for me. And that was a Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I had such conviction. I I knew that the Holy Spirit was was bothering me, was convicting me. I was reading the book of Acts at the time, and you see these ordinary Christians. In fact, in Acts, I think it's 8 or 9, really, when Saul breaks out that persecution against the church, it says that the believers, not the apostles, but just the ordinary believers were scattered and they preached the word wherever they went. So this is just your regular Larry and Bob and Joanna. So that's me. Wow. And and, um, and so that Friday, someone made a comment to me about a friend that they had known or had used to have a long time ago who used to also attend that same college who would go out and share the gospel on his bike. He'd go out and talk to people along a bike trail. And just hearing that story, it... it it propelled me out. And I went back out that day. I still stuttered. I was yeah. still nervous. I still messed it up. But this woman who I first met was very patient with me. And I just never stopped after that. And so even to, th- to this day, I still feel very nervous. And it is still a wrestling match when I see somebody and I, I feel like that would be a good opportunity right there. It's not, it's nothing like uh, there's no fear, no nerves. That is always present. Um, but it's such an adventure to step out and see how the Lord will meet you there and and use you. One of the things we talk about at our church all the time is um, the power of practice, that we have to practice so that we're doers of God's Word and not just hearers of God's Word. That's your testimony. 
you thought, I wasn't very good at this, but I'm going to keep trying again and again and again. And through that practice, this has become a passion, right, of your life. Would you have said it was a passion after that first experience? No, it was a a, a passion to never do that again. Yes, yeah. But that practice element changes everything. Kevin, we were talking before, and I asked you to share, like you were responding to that. Would you share? Absolutely. Well, one of the things I love when Josh told that story was, I think if you say in a church setting, we need to reach our world. Every Christian sitting there says, amen, until you say, uh, I want to reach my world. Mm-hmm. And the people in my circle of influence, my um, hairdresser, the, the people who mow my lawn or my mechanic or whoever it is that you see on a frequent basis. And what I love about what Josh is saying is he's beginning to own not just someplace someplace else, but right here in his city. For me, when I was in student ministries, we would go on mission trips, and so we would train all of our students in evangelism because we were going to we wanted opportunities for God to use us any way he saw fit. And so we trained in the bridge diagram, G-O-S-P-E-L, four spiritual laws, you name it. And we had all the students pick one. They all knew their testimonies. And so we would pair up and we happened to be in a nursing home. I was with a, a young man named Luke. He was 17, a junior in high school. And we walked into this nursing home room, a late 80s you know, man was in, was in the bed there and his wife was sitting next to him. And Uh, We had a conversation just about life, and then the Holy Spirit was prompting, ask him about his faith or ask him if he knows who Jesus is. And so we turned that conversation from the secular to the sacred. We made that turn, and I started doing the bridge diagram. And it was a mess. (laughs) I forgot the scripture passages. The bridge was all wonky. I couldn't figure out who was on which side of the bridge and... (laughs) I mean, it. I felt like I messed it up. And the young man who's with me is looking at me like, what is happening right now? And we get all the way to the end. And I was totally self-conscious at this point. But we, we had taught our students to end with the question of, so who do you say that he is? Would you like to come to know Christ today? And the man looks back and says, yes, I would. And the you know, the kid next to me about fell out of the chair because he thought, wow. And that man that day prayed to receive Christ. And Praise it turns out that that 17-year-old would tell the story today. He tells it from, it showed me that I don't have to be perfect to share my faith. If my pastor can do that with it, I can at least do that. Yes. And it's amazing what the Holy Spirit, when you're obedient and faithful the Holy Spirit, that he has gone before and he is communicating yeah. to the heart with clarity, yeah. even though I might not get it exactly the way I want it to sound. Yeah. Oh, and I think I, that's the, I think that's one of the keys is we tend to think of it as a sales pitch. Well, I don't have a good sales pitch to sell Jesus. I'm not right. smooth. I can't do it. We don't have to sell Jesus. He sells himself. That's yes. the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. Even yeah. when we <laughs> completely butcher a bridge diagram, the Holy right. Spirit can still work in spite of... <laughs> what we're doing. I think that's a great reminder for people that it's not about you and what you say. You need to be faithful to share, but God, God can use what you do. He used a donkey in the, he used in the me. Bible. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> and I'm not calling Kevin a donkey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I think we all can relate to that. So I'm going to start throwing out questions just in random order. And just as the Holy Spirit leads you, I'm going to start over here with Pastor James. So um, what do you say to somebody who does not believe that the Word of God is infallible? So how do you lead them to the Lord if they don't trust that the Word of God is what it says it is? Yeah, I think... um of course, one of the things we talk about is apologetics, um, defending some of the Word of God, showing the evidence that it is historically, archaeologically, scientifically accurate. But at the end of the day, we can't prove to someone mathematically that the Bible is true. Um, any belief system requires a leap of faith. Even secularism is a belief-based system, um, that they just have a different set of beliefs than we do as Christians. So. At the end of the day, if someone doesn't believe that the Bible is the Word of God, we point them to Jesus, show them who Jesus was. We can show them their worldview and um, try to defend the Scripture. But at the end of the day, it's got to be the Holy Spirit that convicts them. Yeah, um, yeah. That we walk by faith and not by sight. And sometimes that's such an easy verse to say, but to walk in is a power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we can... One of the things I love, too... Um, was there's a chart, you could probably Google it, about the supernatural continuity of Scripture. And there's a chart that shows uh, all these arrows going back and forth, um, where all these prophecies are fulfilled, how it all ties together. And when you look at the mathematical odds of a book like this being put together over this span by this many different authors, by their different positions in life from shepherds to kings and everything in between, and you watch it, you go, there is no way. There's just no way, even if you look at the volume of writings we have. And so while James is absolutely correct, there is, you, you can only take somebody so far until you have to go, I, I don't know what to tell you. This is overwhelming evidence that this is supernaturally woven together that is miraculous in nature. And you've got to make that call now as to what's reasonable and realistic for you. Yeah. Right. Because if you look at it for the number of manuscripts we have, how many were copied, the Bible has much greater evidence, like tons more than anything else. I think like the Iliad and the Odyssey by Homer, we have like 600 copies of that, whereas the Bible, we have 24,000 copies that are much closer. And when you look historically at the works of Plato and Aristotle and... Um, Herodotus and all the ancient people from around that time, the Bible has much more, many more copies than any of them, much closer to the original date. They're better preserved. So it's one of those, if someone's going to deny the Bible, they're going against the evidence because they don't want it to be true. I think it might actually be, I might be mistaken, I think there's only eight copies of Homer's Iliad within 1,500 years. Wow. I could be wrong on that with 24,000 copies of the New Testament with, with under 100 years. Yeah. So you go, there's a stag, no one doubts the Iliad's yeah. written by Homer. So even if it's 600, whether it's eight, it is so infinitesimally small compared to um, yeah. date of writing. 
Um, audience, if you're listening tonight, I encourage you just to do a little jaunt journey and look at the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was such an eye-opener for me when you start looking at um, archaeology and faith. And my son is in his junior year at Moody right now. He knows about the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls because it's been a topic in our home because it's so fascinating to me. But having to write an essay on it, it was like such a game changer. So just, you can Google it and it will tell you like, there's just no way without the hand of God that that could have been preserved that way. Josh, I saw you grab your Bible when we were having this conversation. What do you want to add? Well, I know I was just, a, a scripture came to my mind. Um, and what I was going to mention is that, you know, you could pull out your backpack, you know, and inside you happen to have all the greatest artifacts and, you know, evidence that, that shows that scripture is, is, inspired by God, it's infallible. And like James and like Kevin said, you know, that's not going to be enough to convince somebody because it's it's not even really, a lot of times, it's not even really that that's the issue. Like, I just, I just don't have enough evidence. There's something else going on, you know, deeper inside. And a lot of times it's anger uh, toward God uh, yeah. because of pain. And I was one of those people that, that questioned the reliability of Scripture, that I doubted that it was truly from God, that it was trustworthy. Um, I felt that it was very controlling. So, and I was one of those people. And when I began to read the Bible, that's really when God began to change my heart. So if someone had just come up to me with a bunch of evidence, it wouldn't have um, you know, probably convinced me. The Holy Spirit needed to, to convict me and show me himself. And I was just, the thing I was looking to in, in the scripture was just, in Psalm 19, it just says, that the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork, and day after day, and night after night, and then then David says, but there's a better voice, though. There's even a more perfect voice, and it's the word of God, and it's perfect. It revives the soul. It enlightens the eyes. It rejoices the heart. It makes one wise, and when you heed the word of God, there's great reward. So, yeah, the word of God, it's so precious, and um, the Holy Spirit really shows a person that. But that's part of what makes you great at what you do because is part of it is uh, discerning whether we do have an informational or an intellectual roadblock or do we have an emotional roadblock? Is there, what is it, the true thing that's standing there? So while they lead off with an intellectual barricade, what's really behind it is an emotional response to maybe trauma, tragedy, suffering, something else. And figuring that out is the key to addressing what's really at the heart of the issue. Right. Four words. Why do you ask? That's a great question. You know, when when questions are are, are presented, just to get an idea of, of where they're coming from. And a lot of times that will cause someone to open up and share what it is that's really motivating that's great. that question. That's really good. That's so good. Um, so some of the questions that are often asked when somebody is presenting the gospel and they're nervous is, so I'm going to ask you these questions as we go around the table is, what do you do when somebody truly believes that all gods lead to heaven? That is a universalism. That is a really, is that universalism, right? Um, that's a big movement right now in our world where that's what love is, is that we just take all the religions and we pull them together. What would you say to that? Yeah, I, I hear that uh, things like that a lot. And, you know, I just will tell people just as a helpful reminder that, you know, whether you're a Scientologist, we used to go there a lot to the Scientology Center and talk to people. So you're very obscure, you know, cult like that or a, a very big religion like Islam or Buddhism or whatever. Um, 
all the religions and all those belief systems, with the exception of Christianity, they all believe that if you do good and you are positive, you're going to get to heaven or nirvana or whatever that paradise thing is. They're going to have different terms and different you know, names, but it's the same idea. Be a good person and you're going to get to that place. Well, with Christianity, the Bible is so different because it says that you, you're not good and you can never be good enough. In fact, you're so bad that God had to come down uh, to you and he does the work of rescuing so that he gets the glory and the praise. And so I'll, I'll often just lay that out just so they can see that we're talking about very different things. And yeah. you're right that that's what all those other religions believe, but the Bible says something very different. Yeah. And it's actually beautiful because God went on a rescue mission for you oh. to save you. And that is so true. And I love that comparison when you're going going in there. Would you add anything to that, Kevin? I think that's really great. I think as people look at this and they try to navigate this, uh, I think Jesus doesn't leave room for that. I mean, Scripture says, I'm the way. He doesn't say, I'm one of the ways yeah. or I am a way. He says, I'm the way. And it's yeah. nobody gets to the Father except through me. I'm the only one. And, and each religion has a different uh, path and Christ doesn't leave and so people say well Christianity then becomes very exclusive and I would say oh no he's very inclusive he come to me yes everybody is welcome to come but it is yeah. only through me because I'm the perfect sacrifice and that's I think the other religions are built on the understanding of me therefore God yeah. if I do enough therefore God will be pleased with me Yes. Versus God, therefore me. I can never be enough. Therefore, you know, God came down to me. Yeah. And I don't like it, especially here in the West. I don't like to be in a position of submission. I don't want to yes. be needy. I don't want to be vulnerable. I want to be in control of my destiny. Yeah. And it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And all the other world religions tell you it does. And so it scratches that itch of you just be good enough. And it's like 51% and you can skid in the slide in the back door. Yes. And that, that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, as you guys were sharing, I was thinking I've been given permission to share this of my husband who got saved nine years after I got saved, probably because I scared him and did a terrible job of making him <laughs> want to come to know the Lord. Um, and one of the things he said is, and I see this amongst lots of people I talk with, is there's a difference between God's righteousness and man's justice. And so people who are focused on justice and not righteousness get caught up and they think God is unfair. And so I'm not exaggerating. This was in... Um, I don't even know, the early 90s. And I remember I was wanting him to come and be a part of the church. And one of his big concerns was that um, that he's law enforcement. And Jeffrey Dahmer, I know there's a show out, but this had nothing to do with it. This was actually taking place at that time, had just been arrested. And somebody had said he'd been saved. And so I remember Scott saying to me, I'm just having a really hard time with a God that you tell me that he gave his life to the Lord, and I am a moral, upright man because he follows all the justice rules, all of them, very responsible, excellent husband, great dad, but he didn't know the Lord. And he's like, so he's going to go to heaven and I'm going to go to hell. 
Now, I know that that has been a big discussion. Scott is saved and God has transformed and changed and he's in a small group and he's speaking into the word and the word is speaking into him. What is it that you say about reading the Bible or the Bible reading you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he's in that place. But what would you say, that's an extreme case from somebody maybe in law enforcement, but people who have had injustice in their life or they think God is unjust. They don't understand why God defines love differently than they do. They don't understand different things going on. How would you guys speak into that? I mean, that's my story. I mean, I, when my dad got cancer when I was seven, he was at a church. He was uh, on staff minister music. He was there and participatory, and he, was, he loved Jesus, and he suffered for six years and died of cancer. And I thought at 13, how can my dad, who's at church every single week, die of cancer, and the pedophile who's sitting in jail oh. is doing just fine. You're not a good God. You're the most, you're the worst God I know. I don't want anything to do with you. So that's a really, really tough place to be. And especially, I would say, as a kid, when you're not cognitively formed all the way, concrete and abstract thinking are still being, uh, and there's trauma involved. And that is a real question for people because everyone wants to know why do bad things happen to good people. Yeah. So how would you respond to that? I think there's a couple different ways for that. Uh, there's, for me, I started with when I began to realize what's good. Yeah. Who, who's good? Yeah. And what, what do I mean by good? And as soon as I started to realize um, there was what my mom knew and then there was who I was. Mm -hmm. So my mom thought I was a good boy, but behind the scenes, not so much. And so my friends knew I wasn't who my mom thought I was. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of uh, I want everyone else to think something about me, but it's amazing what's happening in my mind, what's happening uh, when no one's watching. And so good is a very interesting term when I yeah. start applying it to me. And so I thought, I'm not nearly as good as I think I am. So I'm a good person. So God owes me. Is that how it works? And so bad things happen to good people. I think bad things happen to people and good things happen to people. Yeah. And uh, it rains on the just, just and the, the unjust. unjust. Yeah. Um, we're reading through Joseph right now. And one of the verses that struck my heart was when it says that God was with Joseph, because we're talking about all the unjust things that happened to him. And we all know, well, if you if you haven't read the story, I encourage you to go. It's Genesis 37 through 50 and read this story of God's redemption. Joseph understood his position in Christ. Me reading it sometimes gets offended for him just for a minute because I'm thinking this seems so unfair. But as you tie the timeline together, you see that God's glory is his story because of the way it happened. Had it happened, he had been rescued. If those things had occurred that I thought they had gone the way they should have, we would have, Israel would have been a whole different place. You know, God is at work. That's growing me. I can say that to you now, but in the beginning of my walk, I couldn't have said that. I didn't understand why hard things are happening. Is there anything you would add to that, Josh? Yeah, honestly, God's sovereignty in weaving things together, including hard moments and allowing hard things to happen, it really is a beautiful thing because, I, you know, that was sort of my, uh, my story as well that, um, because of 
not exactly the cancer, but other circumstances, I looked at God as, yeah, cruel, and, and how, how could this be? But what I didn't know then that I would find out later was that God was allowing me to sink way down, to get really broken and really emptied um, so that I would recognize my need for him and I would, I would call out to him and he would then meet me in that place. Now, I, I don't know, maybe you know, if none of that stuff had happened, I would have become a Christian. Who knows? I don't know. But he used that. That was the, the path. And the things that happened in my life and the things that happened in Kevin and James' life and your life, you know, not all these things were from the Lord. You know, God allows the enemy to do things in our lives. And we see that in, in the story of Job. We see that with Joseph. You know, that which Satan meant for evil, God used for good. So it's just beautiful to know that God weaves these things together. And I think when this kind of a question gets brought up, it's helpful to be able to explain this world is very broken. Yes. It's because of sin. And, uh, you know, I'm very sorry that you have had to face these things. And just being able to sympathize with somebody, like, I, I, yes. I hate that. Can I yeah. give you a hug? Like, I, I, I feel so bad that that's what you've had to go through. But just because you've gone through that doesn't mean that, therefore, God is, is distant and right. cruel. In all reality, he, he's near. And uh, let me just share with you. And that's a great moment to be able to share your testimony. Yes. Let me just tell you, I was in a similar place. And you begin to unfold. And... Um, this story of how God got a hold of, of your heart and used hard moments as part of it. There is a piece of that, too, I think, that understanding the, the spiritual realm and the physical realm or the earthly realm, that there's something going on there that we don't always understand. The other thing that's maybe on us is lots of Christians do not understand the difference between justice, mercy, and grace. And if you do not understand those, then you ascribe things to God that are in a violation of his attributes and you can't do that because it's not a problem with him now it's a problem with your lack of understanding but you're pinning something on him that's not due him yeah. and so i think there's lots of things this is a big topic that yeah. gets weaved a bunch of different ways I think it's an important topic. Can you just share, is, am I thinking of the right thing? My boys repeat you all the time yes. at home. Would you share that? Yeah, the, well, the question I asked them, because we were, uh, both your boys have done internships here and have been a part of this. And so the, the, the thing I asked them is, what's the difference between those three? And we walked through that. But the question I ask is, uh, one of them steals my car, they drive it out and they squeal the tires and they're running out of the parking lot and they run it into a tree and it falls on my car and crushes it. What's justice? You know, and they have to, well, I got to pay for the car and the, call the police and all those. That's what's due them. I'm getting what I deserve. Well, what's same instance, you get in the car, you drive out and you wreck it. What's mercy? Well, maybe we don't call the police. Maybe because I know you guys will split it. You know, uh, something like that. We'll figure it out because I'm showing you mercy because I love you. And, um, you know, and so, well, what is that? Well, it's not getting what I deserve. And then I said, you get in the car, you crash in the tree. What's grace? And they wrestle with that. And you go, I just grab you guys and take you out for ice cream. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, you're getting what you don't deserve. And there's a big difference in how you view your circumstances and what you ascribe to an almighty God about good and bad and suffering. Powerful. What were you going to say? Well, I just want to say I think Christianity offers an answer to suffering that you can't get elsewhere. Because from a secular, non-theistic worldview, 
suffering's really pointless. We live in just a random universe where stuff just happens. There's no meaning or purpose. You just suffer. Um, and other religions, um, they can talk about suffering, but Christianity really offers a God who suffered, Man. who sent his son into the world that we broke to live and to suffer and to die. He was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So in Christianity, we see a God that sees our suffering and he understands it. He's not an angry God up there that we have to appease by our sacrifices, our offerings, our works, that he looked at us and the world that we broke and said, I'm going to send my son to live and to suffer and understand. And so we have a God that knows what it is that we can go to because he knows our sorrows, he knows our pain. So I think suffering really gives Christianity a leg up because we have an answer for it that other religions and belief systems just don't have. You know, something you just said tied into something that Josh shared, and I think this is so important. God has really been putting this on my heart, that when people are walking through hard things, the importance of sitting with them for a minute in that hard thing and truly sympathizing before we move on to... um, what scripture says and the right answer. You know, I had a friend that passed away at 38, 39, and she had kidney disease and she'd had transplants. And I remember standing there after she had shared her testimony, somebody's like, you know, you should drink late at the cross and you should, and like, and she meant well, she meant well. And my friend was mature enough to handle that, but that wasn't like to just sit for a second and say, that's hard. That's hard. I know God is good. You know, it's that sitting. And then that's what you're saying, that God sits with us. We can do that for others because he does that for us. And it's this right, the right concept of Christ is remembering who he is. I used to have this picture that I'd fall down and that they'd be standing on the sidelines and God be like, oh, there she goes again. And when that changed was as I sat with him in his word and I saw his I saw his countenance. It was more like, get up, keep going. That's the God I serve. So that right concept makes a difference. Absolutely. We're going to go around and we're going to do a wrap up. And here's my question. And we're going to just run probably a minute or two over. But my question is, there's somebody listening to this podcast tonight and they're struggling. They don't know if they're saved or they know they're not saved or they have loved ones that are not saved. What are words, Father, we're asking you to speak right now to us and then to speak to them. What are words of encouragement that you would have for that person listening tonight? Yeah, I would just speak to the person who has um, loved ones who don't know Christ, and that burdens them deeply. And the thing that I think of is a guy named George Mueller. And if you're not familiar with him, he was um, in England and started a bunch of orphanages, had literally thousands of kids there, and he never asked for a dime. He literally got all of his needs met through prayer, one of the greatest prayer warriors of all time. And he had five friends that he was burdened for, for salvation that he prayed for. And within um, a few months, a couple of them got saved over the next few years. Several more got saved. There were two he prayed for for 50 years, 50 years. One of them got saved right before he died, and the other one came to Christ several years after George Mueller passed away. And so I just think if if there's anyone that had the ear of God, it was George Mueller, and he did not give up. He persisted for 50 years. So don't lose hope. Don't give up. I love that. I love that. Kevin? I would probably say, I hope this doesn't sound cliche, but I would say, if you're listening, I, I would remind them that God deeply, deeply loves them. And there's these voices, Mary talks about them often, about these foxes we have to grab a hold of and not listen to them. And I think oftentimes I listen to 
to all these other voices. And I need to remember that he loves me and he does loves me deeply and that my past and even my today does not have to define my tomorrow and my eternity. Yes. That it does not have to. He, Satan wants to tell me that, but it does not have to as someone who had, had a lot a lot to get over. And I would say the third thing I would say is call me, call somebody. Yes. There is someone in your life who loves you. Yes. There's someone who knows you and wants to talk to you. If you don't have anybody else, you know, FCCStPete.com, get on there, send me an email, call the church office, tell them you heard the podcast. They'll put you through to me. We'll get you to Pastor Jane. Some Get with somebody. Yes. Let us just talk with you and know that you're loved and that you're known and that we want to walk with you through this so that you're not alone. Amen. Amen, Josh. Yeah, and I would just say knowing and believing that God is good and trusting his goodness. Because when, when we face hard times, especially if there's a listener who's just hearing this and they're thinking, yeah, well, you don't know my circumstances. Easy for you guys to say. But you know, when you go through hard times, it's very it's hard not to be cynical and discouraged. But when you look, when you cling to the word of God and you just trust those promises, God takes those and, and just causes your soul to rise up. And, you know, it's another conversation for another day, but my wife and I went through so many losses, including a stillborn daughter, and it was the Word of God that held us up. And I remember this verse in particular, Psalm 18, verse 30. Well, the verse actually is a little bit later on. I can't even find it here. But, oh, here it is. Uh, this God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. So His way is perfect, and He is a shield, and His words do prove true and when you trust him and you cling to him he, he you find that he's actually holding you yes. rather than you clinging to him yes i'm glad you closed with that um for the listener who's listening right now josh and his beautiful wife melissa are going to be here with us next week in the studio and they're going to share rory's story their daughter that's in heaven that's whole um and it is one that will so encourage your heart for god especially in those hard things. I'm going to close tonight with one thing. Um, I got news this weekend that one of my very first pastors passed away, and I'm good friends with um, their daughter. They have four daughters. And so his wife wrote this this morning, and I just thought, boy, this puts in perspective. She says, still sitting here, so surreal, but I told the girls last night that as tough as it was, it was a beautiful day. I'm so grateful for FaceTime and Messenger that we could all be together to hear the girls say, it's okay, Daddy, you can go, to hear it as well being sung and hearing the girls singing one of the songs he wrote, and then seeing him open his eyes and look up as he slipped off to heaven brought the comfort that he was not in pain. And I thought, it's so easy to get caught up on today that that puts in perspective. Like that is what we're all working towards. There's not one person listening here or sitting here at this table that we're going to live forever. And so we have to sincerely consider what happens after we die. And I hope this encouraged your heart. That might be another podcast that we come back and um, do again. But God loves you so much. And He desires that you would know Him. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to Kingdom Conversations. We look forward to you joining us next week.